What's up, Batty Bees? I'm Brianna, mom, wife, serial entrepreneur, and host of the Badass Basic Bitch Podcast. Each week, I sit down with a seemingly ordinary woman who's doing extraordinary things, and I get to share her story with you. So let's go. Buckle up as we're going to get real and dive into the shit nobody talks about. Welcome to the Batty Bee Club. If we really care about health, then I think body positivity is a good thing because we know that stress has a profound impact on health and um, internalized weight bias has a profound impact on health. So fighting against those things and helping people feel safer in their bodies and more accepted in their bodies is actually going to help improve our health and going to help bring people to a place where they can truly care for themselves and engage in health behaviors that actually are shown to improve health rather than just focusing on body welcome back to another episode of badass basic bitch on this week's episode we have with us dr alexis connison who is a clinical psychologist and certified eating disorder specialist she's a founder and author and on today's episode we're going to be talking about diet culture and how we can recognize and question the societal norms that make us feel like we are not enough thank you so much for being with us today Thanks for having me. Why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit more about you? Sure. So I'm a clinical psychologist. I have a practice, a weight-inclusive group practice here in New York City where I live. And I also do a lot with mindful eating. I wrote a book, um, The Diet Free Revolution. I also have an online course about mindful eating. And my work really came from a personal place as well because I spent so much of my life stuck in diet culture, really set off on a career in psychology thinking I was going to, you know, help people lose weight and feel better about themselves because of course, you know, at that time I believed that the only way to feel better about yourself was by losing weight and thankfully discovered um, the health at every size movement and weight inclusivity pretty early in my career and it was a real game changer for me both in terms of how I was living my life personally and my own relationship with food and my body and also of course how I work with clients. So something that you said there was that you have a lot of experience um, with the diet, with dieting, growing up that influenced you, what you did today. What were those experiences? Yeah. I mean, I think like so many of us, I grew up in the 80s and 90s when diet culture was really rampant. It's still really rampant, but there was no questioning of it at all. No dialogue uh, that we have like what we have going on today. My mom was a chronic dieter and it was just something that was the norm in my house. I thought that's what women did is that we dieted and that we uh, kind of were always at odds with our body and tried to make our bodies, you know, look like this ideal that we were told that it was supposed to. So, you know, I remember going on my first diet, I think I was eight and um, it really came from myself just because like, I thought that's what grownups did. And I remember putting myself on a juice cleanse that I had found the recipe for the like prescription for in one of the diet books that was just all over my, my home growing up. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think most of my life I had spent, you know, since that point, just really stuck in this battle of doing one diet after another and also feeling really out of control around food, feeling like there was something wrong with me that I wasn't able to stick to a diet and to, you know, make my body smaller in the ways that I was told I was supposed to. Yeah. So that was, you know, decades of my life. So did you grow up in a household? You said there was diet books all over your household. Did you grow up in a household where your parents or a parent was like, 
very focused in on diets, losing weight, their their looks. What was that like as a child? Like, did you have that experience too? Yes, very much. So uh, my parents, both my parents actually were pretty invested in dieting, but also really, you know, thought kind of described themselves as, would describe themselves as people who really loved food. So it was this constant battle between, you know, we're going to be on plan and be quote unquote good. And then we're going to be off plan and indulge and be bad, you know? So it was this constant kind of all or none back and forth that was going on in my home. I mean, I was really lucky from the sense that uh, my parents never commented on my body. I also was not in a larger body growing up. So you know, I, that I think is different from people who've been targeted by their pediatricians or by, you know, parents who really were pounding them about having to lose weight. But I saw, but I, I think I was very impacted by just seeing the relationship that my parents in particular, my mom had with her body and her struggles around food and, you know, really seeing food as something that, could be overpowering and that you could be helpless around or something that you were trying to control and, you know, kind of fighting against. So that was the model I saw growing up. And of course, also feeling that, you know, our, you know, um, as, as a girl, as a woman, that my value was in being thin and trying to conform to this ideal, because I saw that was obviously like very important to my mom and determined a lot of how she felt about herself. Yeah. It's really interesting because not sure if you knew this about me before coming on the podcast, but I too struggled with eating disorders um, starting around the age of eight as well. But my parents, um, specifically my mom, was not obsessed with the diet culture. She was so body positive for her own body. My eating disorder really came from the mindset of control. And it was, I lived, I grew up in a very chaotic, out of control environment. And so I turned to food and my body because that was what I could control. With that being said, I went into a a lot of uh, treatment centers, inpatient, outpatient, intensive outpatient, et cetera. And obviously you sit there in groups and people talk about their experience. And there was a lot of commonalities between parents' relationship with food and the projecting of that on their children to some of the eating disorders that that started and I um, you know was in treatment with and I always I always thought that was really interesting because as a parent your children soak up everything and you don't even realize it sometimes and just a little thing about having like you said there was diet books all over my house and i picked one up and i put myself on a ju- juice cleanse at 8 and that blows my mind because you just don't realize how influential you are as a parent with your children whether you mean to be or you don't mean to be it's super fascinating to me so what and since we're talking about this what are some things that we as parents or parents who are listening can do to ensure that their children have that body positivity, body inclusivity that you're speaking of? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll just add on the point that you're making before that there's some really interesting research studies that actually show that the most important predictor for how a um, child, once they grow up and become an adult, how that person is going to feel about their body is their mother's own relationship with her own body. So, you know, I hear a lot from clients who kind of say like, yeah, I'm on a diet, but like my kids don't know that. And I really do think kids pick up everything that's going on around them. 
And, you know, it's not about blaming because I think we all are living in diet culture and we all take that in to different extents. Um, and we, you know, all we can do is do the best that we can. And, you know, I, I do think there's a lot to be said for having a loving and supportive home that can build resiliency in kids, even, you know, if everything's not perfect. So, you know, I just want to be careful not to go into parent blaming because I think that's important, but I really do think like one of the most important things that we can do if we're concerned about our kids having a healthy relationship with food and with their body is to work on that and model that within ourselves, you know, so uh, not just saying, oh, I'm on a diet, but my kids don't know that. I tell my kids to love their body, but really trying to, you know, doing whatever we need to do, whether it's through therapy, through, you know, different programs or whatever, like doing what we need to do to heal our own relationship with food and our body so that we can show that to our kids. Like for me, it's really important that I, I'm a mom as well to two, uh, two daughters. And, you know, I really want them to see that women don't have to hate their bodies. Like there's an alternative path out there where um, we just can live our lives without being at odds with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, um, recently had a baby and, um, as you may know, the transition, the body transition between, you know, nine to 10 months of carrying a baby and then the baby's out and your body does not change automatically. What was really funny was I came home and my kids were like, wait, are you pregnant again? <laughs> because, you know, they're four, six, and eight. And I was like, no, the body is amazing. I stretched my body out so far, but it's going to take a long time to stretch back in. And they had a really hard time uh, like figuring out. They're like, well, but why aren't you skinny again? Why aren't you this again? Do you have the twin inside you? And, and you know, I think if I didn't feel comfortable in my body, I probably would have felt very bad about those comments, but they're just so you know, matter of fact. Um, and so to your point, speaking very positively about my body and saying, my body just did something so amazing. Let's give it some grace to to get back to normal. And it's going to take a long time if it ever does. And I think that brings up the next point of this body positivity. You've been hearing this term thrown out there a lot recently. What exactly is body positivity in your mind? So, you know, I think at its core, body positivity is something that evolved out of really some radical movements, especially, you know, in the 70s, 80s, like there was some really radical stuff going on and body positivity came out of a movement that was trying to center the experiences of people in marginalized bodies so that we could, um, you know, kind of create more space for for everyone to be accepted in the body that they're in. I think, unfortunately, body positivity has gotten very commercialized and kind of watered down from the true essence. And what we're seeing it to mean is that, you know, kind of this idea that we should all feel good about what our body looks like and, you know, wear a crop top or a bikini, no matter, you know, what your size and you know, a lot of what we see is people who are very close to the traditional beauty ideal, but maybe a little bit larger or have some cellulite or, you know, aren't airbrushed images and saying it's okay to look different. But what we're, you know, I think that those images aren't really that different from what we traditionally see in the beauty ideal anyway, which is, you know, predominantly young, thin, uh, white women, um, cisgendered women, 
but I think in essence, the body positivity movement is really about creating like safer spaces for people in all bodies to exist. And in order to create safety for all bodies, we really need to be centering people who are the most marginalized because once those folks are safe and centered, then, you know, by, by definition, we all benefit from that. So I think that it's lost stray a little bit and got in this crescendo. I think a lot of, I hear a lot of people say like, oh, I feel like I'm doing body positivity wrong. Cause like I still struggle with my body image. I, I don't feel comfortable wearing a bikini at the beach. And like, to me, that's so not what body positivity is about. It's about, you know, recognizing that, our body isn't the thing that defines us. It's not the most important thing about us. Um, we're so much more than just what we look like and, you know, fighting to create space for that in, in, in the world to create space that we're not defined by, you know, the size of our body. Yeah. I like that, that, um, viewpoint. I think that's really important to say because it's not about being, like you said, being able or feeling comfortable in any kind of outfit in any kind of situation. It's just understanding that your body is more than the image it projects. Um, and that's the body positivity. And I, I really appreciate that viewpoint. The holiday season is sneaking up on us and it is the busiest shipping time of the year. And if you're a small business owner like me, then you know how important it is to get ready for the insanity of the holiday season. And if you haven't started to prepare, then you're already behind. Luckily, Stamps.com has everything you need to make your life a lot easier. It's the 24-7 post office that you can access from anywhere. No lines, no traffic, no hassle. I've been using Stamps.com for over two years now, and I can't begin to tell you how much time and stress it saved me. You can access USPS and UPS services you need to run your business right from your computer. And when inflation is happening, every dollar counts. All you need is your computer and printer. And if you need a package picked up, you can easily schedule it through your stamps.com dashboard. Rates are constantly changing. With stamps.com's switch and save feature, you can easily compare carriers and rates so you know you're always getting the best deal every time. Get ahead of the holiday chaos this year. Get started with stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code BADDIEB, B-A-D-D-I-E-B, for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. There are no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code BADDIEB. Some of the debates that I hear, the other side of the debate in terms of body positivity, quote unquote, and body inclusivity is when when do we start to say that the bodies that we're worshiping or the people that we're worshiping and, and giving big kudos to equates to an unhealthy lifestyle? So one example is I always hear her name being dropped, and this is Lizzo of... It's one thing to, you know, appreciate and say, you know, Lizzo is is breaking the barriers of how we view bodies, but is it at an unhealthy point? And this is what I hear commonly from from people when I'm talking about body positivity, body inclusivity. What are your thoughts there? Like is there a boundary? Do we say at a point like your body is unhealthy and you need to get healthy? Like what what do you think about the people have that have those views? So I think that when we look at someone like Lizzo, who gets brought up a lot in these conversations around body positivity and is it healthy, 
I think we really also have to look at like the very long and kind of ugly history that we have of, you know, especially policing Black women's bodies and the idea that Black women's bodies are unruly and bad and need to be confined and brought closer to what really is kind of this white, thin ideal. So I think there's a lot to unpack in those comments about Lizzo. And, you know, especially I hear them largely being made by thin white women. Um, So I think that we have to look at the dynamics around that. But speaking even just more generally about the idea that like body positivity is somehow like, or I'm saying it's in quotes, but like glorifying obesity or encouraging people to be unhealthy um, really speaks to this deep-seated fat phobia that I think just runs throughout our culture. And the and, and because that um, idea that body positivity is, you know, encouraging an unhealthy lifestyle is really rooted in the idea that health has a size, has a look that we can, you know, tell how healthy someone is by looking at them. And that's completely untrue. You know, we know that people can be healthy across the size spectrum. We also know people can be unhealthy across the size spectrum. People can do a lot of really unhealthy things to try to shrink their body. We were just speaking about, you know, eating disorders. And, you know, certainly we look at people who are undernourishing themselves or doing extreme, you know, dieting and weight cycling. And like, I would have a lot more concerns about someone who is, you know, the health of someone who is struggling with a eating disorder than someone who's just, you know, living in a larger body. So I think that, again, we have to really question these norms that we know someone's health by what they're looking, you know, by what they look like. And also really look at the research, which shows that weight is not the most important factor in determining our health. And that, you know, it, a lot of things, um, you know, are way more important than BMI, which is also been shown to be a really awful predictor of just about anything and has a lot of uh, racist origins in terms of its development and only being normed, you know, predominantly on like white, white people and those health standards being really exclusionary for people of color. So, you know, I think we have to just really examine like where some of those biases are coming from and recognizing that, you know, health if we really care about health, then I think body positivity is a good thing because we know that stress has a profound impact on health and um, internalized weight bias has a profound impact on health. So fighting against those things and helping people feel safer in their bodies and more accepted in their bodies is actually going to help improve our health and going to help bring people to a place where they can truly care for themselves and engage in health behaviors that actually are shown to improve health rather than just focusing on body weight. Yeah, I think you made a huge point to me that I want to reiterate, and I can relate to this. Just because someone looks as though they are in healthy, great shape doesn't mean that their body is healthy. And I think about myself um, when I was um, a senior playing lacrosse and my body fat percentage was very low and someone could look at me and say, wow, she is fit, she is healthy. That was probably one of the worst parts of my eating disorder where my heart was extremely overstressed. I was very, very tired. I was losing my hair and it just goes to show 
that that image does not project someone who is healthy, just like in your case, the image of someone in a larger body does not project that they are unhealthy. And I think that is a great reminder for people that are questioning those things. So thank you for bringing that up. Sorry, I just want to add it. Like, and when we look statistically speaking, if we look at kind of the, the bell curve around weight and health, we see that like one group that is consistently at you know, some of the most elevated risk for, you know, health issues are people who are underweight. And I think that the fact that there's like so much societal obsession um, and kind of like concern trolling of people in larger bodies where, you know, people are just like strangers commenting on Lizzo's body and saying, we're concerned about her health, but we don't see the same thing for people who are underweight, where statistically they're at the highest risk for most health issues. I mean, I think it really speaks to the point that like, our concern about fat people's health is really much more about fat phobia and diet culture and, you know, stigmatization more so than health. Otherwise we'd be like really worried about thin people. And that leads into my next question that I was going to ask you is like, what is our society's obsession with this female thinness and diet culture and fat phobia? Yeah. So I think it's so much about control. I think that when we, you know, see a society that is just obsessed with telling people, especially women, that we have to, you know, look a certain way and really try to kind of conform our bodies to meet an ideal that 99.9% of people are never going to achieve. Um, I think it's about trying to you know, I think there's a lot invested in women feeling bad about ourselves and believing that we're not good enough, believing that, you know, we don't deserve to, you know, get up to have our voices heard at the front of the room because we are ashamed of what our body looks like. Or we think that, you know, like since our body doesn't meet this ideal that people are going to judge us or think, you know, badly about us, which might be because we're in a culture that's so obsessed with those things. But, you know, I think that we have to look at who who benefits from women hating their bodies. And I think there's, you know, a lot culturally that's invested in in keeping us believing that there's something wrong with us and that we're not good enough because of how we look. Yeah. Do you know that like how much the diet industry is worth? I forget the number. I thought it was like somewhere near like $60 billion is associated with the diet culture or something. It's like outrageous. Like the diet industry is about $72 billion. Um, and I think that if you look at the wellness industry as well, which is so intertwined with the diet industry, it's even higher. Yeah. Yeah. That just is crazy. And it, it, when you when you go back to the question of what's the obsession, there's money. There's money in the obsession. And we're marketed in a sense to try to get us to feel a certain way about our bodies and feel the pressure to change because it's all about marketing and money, uh, which kind of blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's so many industries that are you know, profiting off of us not feeling good enough about ourselves, trying to sell us different products, different tools, different, you know, anything that you can imagine saying that this is going to be the the thing that makes you feel better about yourself. And I think on a larger scale, like, you know, we live in a patriarchal society that when women are preoccupied with what we look like and, you know, trying to, you know, spend all of our time and energy 
try and shrink ourselves and make ourselves smaller, uh, that leaves a vacuum for other people to step up into, uh, which is what we see. I think we look at who's, um, you know, in positions of power in our society. Yeah, I remember probably when I was in high school, it was like the biggest things, high school or college, I don't remember, but the biggest diets, there were the Atkins and the South Beach. And it was like, really, that was it? From my standpoint that I remember the big diets being, and that was it. And today, if you go and and look at how many different diet types there are, I mean, there's like hundreds, sometimes even more than that, of all different diet experts coming out and saying, oh, it's actually gluten that's bad. Oh, you have to eat like a caveman. Oh, no, it's it's the sugars. It's No, it's the fruit. Oh, like plant everything organically. And it's crazy how much it's evolved and the industry that it's created. And I think a big part of that Um, at least I think a big part of that, that resulted in that is the social media, like social media platforms and the ability to reach more people, people and micro influencers that are being able to reach more people and sell services. And so instead of these big corporations, you know, selling South Beach Diet or Atkins, you can sell your own personalized services on a micro level to your localized um, following. And so it's just created this whole different vortex of selling capabilities. And I and I think I want to I want to talk a little bit about social media with you if that's okay because I think when we consume this content on social media, it can be really triggering to someone who is already struggling with their body image or the way they feel about them. And I think it's hard for some people to um unfollow people or remove their, you know, social media platforms from their phone. So I guess I'll ask the first question of what red flags should people be aware of when they're consuming content on social media that's related to body images and dieting? So I think that the biggest red flag is just, you know, looking at content that doesn't make you feel good. So if you're scrolling through and you notice whenever this influencer posts something, it kind of, you know, gives me a tinge of feeling bad about myself. Or I notice that I, you know, really fall into like a comparison cycle when I look at this person's, you know, social media feed. Um, because I, I think that how we feel is the most important red flag there. Um, because, we all relate to content differently and something that feels problematic to one person may not feel to someone else. But, you know, um, in addition to just being really aware of like how you feel when you're scrolling and I, I would encourage unfollowing people who don't make you feel good. Also, you know, being really cautious around any accounts that promote, for example, like before and after pictures, this idea again, that like, health has a look or that like one body size is more desirable than another, I think can be very problematic. And again, there's some research to show that, um, you know, though that type of content can be, um, associated with increased, you know, risk of, uh, issues around food and body image stuff. Anything that's promoting restrictive eating, I would be cognizant about anything that's, you know, promoting like a thin ideal and the idea that there's only one way to look to be healthy or to be beautiful um, is all stuff that I would see as red flags personally. Yeah. My biggest thing that I do for any content that I'm consuming online is I look for the the credentials. I trust authoritative sources and that shouldn't be any different on social media. There was an influencer in Texas 
I think her name was Brittany Dawn. I want to say it was Brittany Dawn. And um, she actually got sued because she was selling her services, encouraging eating disorder behavior to people, to women mostly, who wanted to go on diets and, you know, lose weight. And she was encouraging this behavior and um, identifying herself as like a nutrition coach, a weight loss coach. And she has no credentials. Um, and she ended up getting sued and lost in Texas. And I think that to me, that, w- that would have been my first red flag is I'm not going to sign up with anybody any kind of nutritionist or any kind of coach unless they have the credentials and and went through the proper training because, you know, what information are they really going to give me? Yeah, I agree that there's, you know, certainly something to be said for credentials and training. You know, unfortunately, I also think that there's so much weight bias and diet culture in professional communities. I mean, professionals are just like anyone else in terms of we're all raised in diet culture and it depends so much on people have done the work to unpack that for themselves or what they promote to their audience. But I also see very problematic content being promoted by medical doctors and by personal trainers and That's a great point. And actually, that just happened to me. Um, I was following a nutritionist recently and um, they were posting oh, if you want to lose X amount of pounds per week or something, have this calorie intake. And I'm like, that's such a loaded thing to say because you don't know anybody's activity level, anybody's metabolism. Um, So I reached out to them and said, hey, I'm breastfeeding. Would it be okay? And I already know the answer. I'm breastfeeding. Would it be okay if I stayed on that 1,200 uh, calorie diet? And their answer was yes. And I'm like, man you have these credentials and you should know better because when you're breastfeeding, that is no way that that is enough calorie intake for anybody. Um, in my opinion, uh, but I think there's a lot of research behind that would would agree with me. But yeah, that's a great point. It's not just credentials. It's maybe going to a couple sources to check before you make your decision. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that in addition to having to be aware of that, like just you know, we want to see that people have experience in training, but just because they have that experience in training doesn't necessarily mean that they're not still, you know, immersed in diet culture. And on the flip side of that, there are a lot of amazing coaches and people with, you know, who don't have any kind of degree or um, like credentials, but have lived experience. And I think have a tremendous amount to offer in terms of how they see the world and how they can shift how we see things too. So, yeah, I mean, Social media is like <laughs> wild, wild west. And I think it's really just about combing through and having to find, um, you know, what works for you and what doesn't. But yeah, that that sense of if someone's making you feel, feel bad, I think that's a pretty good indicator that it's time to unfollow. So what resources do you have for women who want to get out of this diet cycle and just reclaim their space? So, I mean, the resources that I've created is I have my book, The Diet-Free Revolution, 10 Steps to Free Yourself from the Diet Cycle with Mindful Eating and Radical Self-Acceptance. And that is a book that I wrote from my own experiences working with people in my private practice over, you know, the last decade or so. And finding that there really are some universal themes and tools that I think can help people who are looking to 
get out of diet culture um, and develop a more peaceful and uh, mindful relationship with food and their body. So I tried to spell it all out in a um, 10 step program, because I think that one of the things that I saw lacking in the anti-diet community is that you know, a lot of people are learning about the anti-diet movement and mindful eating through social media and just kind of getting the message, dieting is bad, we shouldn't be dieting. So, you know, and this vague, listen to your body. And I think that so many people that can feel really overwhelming and people get lost in that because how do we listen to our body? Like that's really hard to do when we've spent, you know, oftentimes decades and decades of our life learning not to listen to our body, fighting against our body. So I think that for many people, as they're transitioning away from diet culture, structure can be helpful, just like how dieting gives us structure and can make us feel safe because it's do X, Y, and Z. Um, Sometimes we need that as we're transitioning away. So I hope to provide that in the book with the 10 steps. And then I also have an online course, um, the anti-diet plan which uh, is also about mindful eating and, you know, trying to help people leave behind diet culture. And of course, I'll also say that if you're struggling with your relationship with food and body, therapy is really important. Um, You know, it's not always so accessible to people, which drives me bonkers because I think therapy should just be a part of basic healthcare that everyone should have access to. Um, but for folks in the New York area, I do have my practice, Connison Psychological Services um, here in New York, but um, your local therapist is a great resource too, especially if you can find someone who's weight inclusive um, or aligns with the health at every size philosophy. And so um, every episode, I always ask people, if you could have anyone listening get one piece of advice from today's episode, what would it be? So I, you know, I think if people are going to walk away with one thing, my hope is that it would be the knowledge that the problem is not your body, that, you know, we live in a culture that has us believe that there's something wrong with us, that we're fundamentally flawed or broken or, um, you know, just not good enough in different ways. And I really hope people can start to shift away from seeing their body as the problem and seeing these messages that we're taught about ourselves as the problem. I like that. That's great advice. And where can everyone find you? I know you mentioned your counseling center in New York, but where else can people find you? Yeah, so uh, people can find my website, drconnison.com. You can find more information about my course at theantidietplan.com. And I'm active on Instagram at theantidietplan. Awesome. Well, Alexis, you are one badass basic bitch. Thank you so much for being on today's episode. Thank you for having me. As always, thank you for listening. Check us out on Instagram at badassbasicbitch. And thank you to Saw and Sign, our production studio. We'll see you next week. Bye.